look around the room. She goes, all these 20 year olds, they're fashion. You're not. And she looked at me and she goes, you're crude. Do crude and do what you know is what she was saying. Be who you are. In the beginning, I kind of had lost that. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you create a more fulfilling career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and successfully make a major career change. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you take the brave steps needed to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to explain how he relaunched his career from being a telephone repairman to a high-end women's shoe designer. We'll discuss what it's like to do work that's authentic to who you are and how to deal with being an outlier when you're pursuing a new career path. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll talk about being who you are, but doing it in a way that still allows you to resonate with the right people. Before we start today's interview, I wanted to let you know that I'm going to be hosting my very first in-person workshop for The Guardian on how to build a clear personal brand on the evening of Monday, November the 19th in London, England. This is part of The Guardian's master classes, which are a series of developmental workshops designed to help you improve your career and life. In my three-hour workshop, I'm going to be covering how to use product branding principles to build and reinforce your professional reputation. We'll cover techniques you can use in professional settings, social media, and job application materials to stand out and differentiate yourself. So if you're based in London and you want to learn some simple techniques to open up more career opportunities for yourself, you can learn more about the course and register to join at careerrelaunch.net slash November 19. The course is 99 pounds and limited to 36 students. Again, you can register at careerrelaunch.net slash November 19. Okay, on to today's interview, where I'm going to be speaking with Chris Donovan, who spent 25 years repairing phones but recently decided to revisit his childhood fascination with shoes to become a high-end women's shoe designer. With the tremendous support and enthusiasm from his husband, he retired early and was accepted at the Polymoda Fashion Institute in Florence, Italy. He's recently found a potential manufacturer and is now working to create and launch his very first shoe line. Now, Chris is someone I heard about from one of my friends who's actually a lawyer, but also interested in fashion, and he forwarded me this AARP video featuring Chris. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with AARP, especially those of you outside the United States, the AARP is a U.S.-based interest group whose mission is to empower people to choose how they live as they age. I found Chris's perspectives about career change to be really moving and thoughtful, and I'm really excited to share his inspirational career journey with you today. You can watch Chris's full AARP video and get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 46. Chris spoke with me from Fairhaven, Massachusetts. Okay, good morning, Chris. Welcome to Career Relaunch. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Joseph. Really glad to be here. Well, I was wondering if you could just kick us off by telling us what you've been focused on in your career and your life right now, Chris. And I understand you just got back from a trip to Italy. I have. I've been looking for manufacturing for my first line of high-end women's shoes. Being new has made that a real challenge, but this last trip was very successful and uh, I think everything's in place for me to uh, get my first line manufactured. 
Wow, very exciting. So I want to come back to that and I want to talk all about your experience of becoming a shoe designer and going back to school in a fashion school in Italy. But I was wondering if you could just start off by telling me a little bit more about your former career. So let's go back in time. And before you were a shoe designer, can you just tell me about your time when you worked in telephone repairs? I started working for the phone company because I knew they paid for college. And so I figured, wow, that would be a great way to get my bachelor's and have them pay for it. But it was one of those jobs that you get into that was very secure. It paid really well. I was able to move around to different types of jobs. So if I didn't, I found one I didn't like. I started out as an operator, which was just awful. What was awful about that? Well, I was the zero operator. I'd worked the 11 to 7, so all night. You did not deal with business people. You dealt mostly with all sorts of emergencies. It was just a different crowd at night, so it was really unpleasant. People will say anything if they can't see you. So I got yelled at all night long and called all sorts of names. I knew I wasn't long for that one. So then I transferred to another position, and I think... In my 25 years at the phone company, I must have had like eight different jobs. I kept on transferring, trying to find something that was somewhat fulfilling and uh, did not find it. (laughs) Did it ever cross your mind to leave the company and do something different? Or was your mind pretty much set on staying within the company because of the benefits and the stability? I came from a background where you get into a good company, you stay there. It felt good, especially, you know, growing up, there wasn't a lot of stability. So this was a change for me, and it was something that was desirable. Uh, And I think over those years, I realized that, yeah, security is okay, but it's not the only thing. And you realize that you're not going to be fulfilled just by being safe. Did you have any inclination that you wanted to do something else? I've drawn shoes since high school. But never, ever thought of it as a career because I didn't know anybody who ever went into something like that. And how would you even begin to do that? At one point, I did check design schools in this area. There are no shoe programs in the United States. And the design schools I checked were like extremely expensive. No way I could afford. And those weren't covered under tuition reimbursement. So that would have to come out of my own pocket. And considering the fact that they didn't have anything in shoe design, it didn't seem to make any sense to make that leap. It's kind of interesting because we've been talking about the telephone repair industry, which is this sort of like, I'm going to call it this very entrenched industrial industry. And now we're suddenly talking about shoe design. Can you just take us back to those high school days when you were first doing those shoe sketches? What interested you about shoes I went to a Catholic high school, and it was in the 70s. And the girls wore the ugliest uniforms you ever saw. They were like thick polyester. Uh, They were mustard yellow and fluorescent blue. And the only thing they could do to kind of express themselves was they would do their hair as high as they could, and their shoes were just outrageous. And I remember seeing one of the girls walk into class once in these extremely high platforms. And I was totally fascinated 
watching her walk and figuring out how it was possible she could walk on these massive structures, I started sketching in my notebook, trying to figure out, if you can do that, what else could you do with a shoe? It just kind of totally fascinated me. And it never went away. I sketched shoes for 40 years on the back of napkins, on the back of work orders, on menus, on anything. So it sounds like this was a really long-held interest in passion of yours, and and yet you didn't pursue it right away. And one of the things we talk about on this show is these turning points or these trigger points for people that make them rethink their life. And I know when we spoke before, Chris, you told me that you had something come up with your health at the age of 50. What happened? I had started thinking about what can I do to make some changes in my life. And then I was, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And it was caught really early. Usually you're not 50 when you're diagnosed with it, but they caught it really early. I went through surgery and I've been fine ever since, but it gives you a different perspective that I'm not here forever. And am I going to be happy on my deathbed looking back and saying, wow, I was the best phone repair guy. And oh, I was really, really safe. I always played it safe. And it was like, no, I I, I don't want that to be me. And I knew I had a passion. And that's when I said, you know, you know what, this is stupid. I, I got to go do something. And all the fears, the biggest fear was having cancer and possibly dying from it. So it's just like, screw everything else and just go on and do what you need to do. And who knows what's going to happen, but you got to give it a try. Can you take me to the moment when you first heard that diagnosis? Like, what's it like to hear that you've got cancer and what ran through your head at that moment? Well, it sucks. As soon as the doctor says that, you go deaf. You don't hear anything else after that. So I had no idea what he was talking about as far as treatments go and stuff like that. It was a shock. And so it took took me a while to figure it all out. And I remember going to my primary care. And when I walked in, he starts talking to me. This is after the diagnosis. He goes, well, you know, we got, we, you know, we're going to check your blood pressure. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And I'm like, hello, <laughs> you didn't even mention the cancer. And he goes, oh, we'll take care of that. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, we caught it early. You'll be fine. He goes, there's a ton of different treatment options. So don't worry about it. And I'm like, okay. But, you know, and it was, he was right. They, they took care of it. Yeah, that's great news. What prompted you to then go from getting this diagnosis to then deciding to become a shoe designer? I always kind of scoured the internet for things like classes, anything to do with shoes. There were no classes. There were no workshops. There were very few things available. There were places where you could go for a week and learn how to build a shoe. I saw a class, a two-day class on how to start your own shoe line and was given by a shoe designer and teacher. And he was going to be in New York for two days. So it was a Saturday and Sunday. And I looked at him like, you know what? This is my chance to show somebody in the profession my stuff. So that's what I did. I, I signed up for the class. I went to New York for the weekend. It was me and 19 women, which was kind of funny. But he went through a whole day of exercises as far as designing goes and stuff like that. And then afterwards, he had me stay after class, and he just said, 
you have to do this. He goes, you were born to do this, which was the first time I'd ever heard that, uh, especially with such import. He goes, you have to go to Europe. He goes, you have to go get a master's. And he goes, I will write you a letter to get into any school you need to, but you have to go. I mean, as thrilling as it was and as exciting as it was, it was like, how am I going to do that? I have a house. I have I have a husband. I have a big fat dog. I, mean, <laughs> I have all sorts of stuff going on in my life. And I was like, who does that? Was there anything else that made you nervous about going back to school? The only international travel I had ever done was to Canada. I had not been to Europe yet. It was terrifying going back to design school because other than what I did on my own for 40 years, it was brand new to me. And I had no idea how I was going to deal with it. So let's talk a little bit about your time heading back to school then. And I'd love to dive in a little bit on this topic because I know a lot of times people think about going back to school and what it takes to go back to school. In your case, I know you eventually did end up going to Italy, but what was your process of, of finding the right school for you and applying and getting in? Italy was the place for shoes. And I knew that there were some excellent schools there. And Aki, the teacher who told me I should be going, said, there's an excellent school in Florence that uh, I really think you should go to. So I applied there with my sketches that I had and uh, I had to do a phone interview with the director there. Most students were in their early 20s. I was 55 at the time. I think there was a lot of skepticism on their end. But once he talked to me, that's when he said, yeah, I would love to have you. And this was at the Polymoda Fashion Institute in Florence, Italy. Is that right? Yes. So what was it like once you got there? And I'm interested in a lot of different aspects of this, Chris. But first of all, what was it like to be 55 in school with a bunch of folks in their 20s? I didn't really see myself as 55, really. But it popped up a few times where I got mistaken for a janitor a couple times. (laughs) Um, I was older than the teachers, And if you see me, I look like a telephone repair guy. Uh All I had were old jeans and old T-shirts. And these are fashion students. They looked amazing. They dressed to the nines every day. I did not look like a design student at all. How did people react to you when they saw you, knowing that you didn't really look like the, uh, I guess, the stereotypical student there? I got a little bit of blowback uh, where there was a couple students said I didn't deserve to be there because I didn't have any design background. She didn't mention me by name, but she directed this right at me. And I was like, wow, wow. It's like you're saying I don't belong here. It didn't bother me because I'm 55 years old and I'm a lot older than you and nothing really bothers me. You know, uh, that was the advantage of being older, I think. We would have reviews. They'd call you in once a month to check on your projects and check on your graduate collection. And the other students were always leaving crying. Just like you see on TV on some of the design shows, they kind of rip you apart. So, and I know when I went in, I said, well, you know, nothing you're going to say is going to upset me that much. But they were pretty nice to me. They were really nice to me. They liked my stuff. And And even at that point, I'm like, are you just being nice to me because I'm old? I want you to tell me the truth. 
I'm here to learn as much as I can. And you have to be totally honest with me and give me as much of information as you can because I want to make this work. And now they were honest. They said, no, no, we actually we actually think you have some great design skills. Now, it's really interesting because you mentioned that you didn't think about your age as much as maybe I guess I would think someone would going back to school at that age. Was there something about that experience that made your age irrelevant, at least to you? I was so excited to be doing something that I love to do. And the course load was intense. I had to come up with a five pair collection of shoes. I had to come up with accessories. I had to do a book. I had to do a movie. And I had to build all sorts of other shoes to prove that I was capable of making Oxfords and loafers and and pumps. So it was a tremendous course load. I was so focused. I never even thought about my age. For me, this is a dream. I'm going to have a great time doing this. One of the things I remember you talking about in the AARP video is finding your style. Can you explain to people how you found your design style and your design voice through the course of your time there at the Polymoda Fashion Institute? Going to Italy changed everything. I'm so glad that I took the trip because I see everything in a completely different way now. I didn't have any influences in the last four years. It's not like I sat there and copied other people. These are all ideas that just came out of my head and I, uh, and I tried to articulate it on paper. But when I got there, it was a, a fashion school and everybody's walking around looking beautiful, except for me. And I was trying really hard to figure out what they were trying to teach me. There were at least three different points in the beginning that I thought I was going to quit because I wasn't getting it. They were trying to teach me ideas of collection and research, which were totally new concepts to me. At one point, one teacher came over to me and said, you know, I'm really worried about you. You're not getting this. And I go, I know I'm not getting this. I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm worried myself. But there was a light bulb moment. One of the teachers came over to me. She was, I was trying to work on my book. And she comes over and she's looking at my images and all the stuff I was doing. And she looks at me and she says, that's awful. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I laughed. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she goes, you're trying to be fashion. And I go, it's one of the top 10 fashion schools in the world. And she goes, yeah. She goes, look around the room. She goes, all these 20 year olds, they're fashion. And then she goes, what were you? And I go, well, I was a telephone repair guy. And she looked at me and she goes, you're crude do crude, you know, and do what you know is what she was saying, you know, be who you are. And in the beginning, I kind of had lost that. And uh, as soon as she said that, I, things started changing. I'm like, you know what, I, I know what she's talking about. And as soon as I did that, all of a sudden, all the other teachers were like, you're getting it. You're, this is exactly what we're looking for. And uh, I ended up graduating at the top of my class and opening the final show which really made me happy since that other person said I didn't belong there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it was, it was a turning moment. It worked out amazingly well. Uh, they actually ended up sending some of my shoes to Dutch Design Week for one of their design shows. So yeah, it was a great experience. I think one of the funny things, though, is when I was leaving, uh, we were having dinner with one of my teachers, and I said, 
what's the possibility of me actually getting a job when I go back? And he looked at me, he goes, none. He goes, goes, you're 55. He goes, and you're just starting out as a designer. So yeah, probably not. So (laughs) coming home, I I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. One of the things that I notice, and I know nothing about shoe design, but when I look at your shoe designs, they, they are quite, for lack of any sort of technical term here, they're kind of raw and, and industrial looking to me as just like an average layperson. And it seems quite niche. And at the same time, boy, your voice really comes through. Like I can completely see how you designed those shoes. So it seems like you really found your niche by just allowing yourself to be you. One of the big things that I've learned is that you gotta be authentic in like everything you do. I'm not going to fake knowing something. I'm going to be totally honest and open. My whole story has been totally honest and open. And people understand that. People know that you are who you are. And I think that comes across in my designs. I think it comes across in the way I do business. I know I don't know everything. I don't have an ego that way. I will search out people who can help me. Because trying to do this with absolutely no knowledge would have, oh God, you know, yeah, no, I need help. And and I look for people and it's amazing how many people really want to see you succeed. Speaking of diving into an area that you, you might not have a lot of experience in, can you just tell me about your process of taking your ideas now and trying to actually manufacture them? What's that process been like for you? extremely difficult. (laughs) Yeah, I figured. (laughs) Uh, Right from the start, when I went off to school and stuff like that, there were all these obstacles. Some of them seemed uh, almost insurmountable at points. The very first thing that happened when I I was going to leave Boston was I went to the Italian consulate and I had all my acceptance papers from Polymotor and everything and I was applying for a student visa. And the woman behind the counter said, you can't do that. And I'm like, why? And she goes, you're too old. I had to go back like five times to prove that I was actually going back to school in Italy. All along, there's been problems. And what I've learned from that is, you know what? I've gotten through and I've achieved so much to this point that no matter what comes up, there's always a way. You will figure out a way. And so uh, when I started looking for manufacturing, there is no roadmap. Um, There is no menu of how to do this. The whole process is actually can seem quite secretive. Manufacturers can't talk about who they work for. So you have no idea where shoes are actually made and what factories are where they are. You cannot go into Google and type Italian shoe factory because nothing's really going to come up. You just have to keep on figuring out ways of discovering. I used every part of social media to meet other shoe people ask them questions. I found out different ways of searching out information through hashtags and all sorts of other stuff to find out all these little bits of information. And some of it was useless, but it got me to the point where I was like, oh, I'm beginning to find some factories. Uh, And then I started writing to them, which is not the normal thing to do, but hey, what do I have to lose, right? So I just started writing to them saying, listen, I'm looking for a manufacturer. Some got back, some ignored me. It was difficult finding anybody who would actually talk to me. Most manufacturers I'm discovering are very, very hesitant to work with somebody new. 
because factories aren't creative. You know, they don't look and go, oh, my God, you're amazing. They, they don't really care about that. They care about, I got to produce shoes and do this and we've got to have lines. And they have big, big companies coming in all the time producing 50,000 pairs. That's their bread and butter. And then you have this new designer that comes in and says, you know, I want to do 300 pairs. Right. You know, you don't carry a lot of weight. You just have to throw yourself into it. Talk to as many people as possible and get as many network connections as possible to actually find a way to get there. You just don't give up. You just keep on trying. And so what exactly did you do in your most recent trip to Italy that you just made a few weeks ago? I was actually accepted into a project team. So they work with me and they're actually very excited about my stuff. You know, it's going to be a luxury shoe line, but it's also going to be really different. It's funny, they kind of said the same thing you did, that my designs are masculine and feminine, but also raw at the same time. I'm not one of those people that go for pretty. My first designs were uh, that I'm having done or were, were inspired by wood lathing. I was watching a guy do these incredible wild pepper mills, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, I could really use your ideas to make some incredible like heels. So that's where that came from. That came from woodworking. Well, the last thing I want to talk about, Chris, before we wrap up by talking a little bit more about your first shoe line is just some of the things you've learned along your career journey. I know you've touched on a couple of them already, but one of the barriers we talk about on this show is related to fear. And I'm just curious, what's something that you've learned about fear during your own journey? Our natural reaction to fear is to avoid it, I think. And I understand why. But what I've learned is that if I'm nervous about something or if I'm afraid of something, it probably means I should head in that direction as opposed to running away from it. Because if you want big things to happen and if you want to achieve big things, I think, you need to face all that stuff. You take that fear and kind of reframe it. I heard a story, this woman was talking about fear, and she was on the, the bunny heel on, in skiing. And she was, you know, 40 years old, going as slow as possible down this very slight hill. And she was terrified. And then she looked next to her, and the kids were flying by her, screaming, laughing, having a ball falling down. And she goes, they're both experiencing the same thing. It's just that the kids were looking at it differently than she was. She said, I was thinking of it as fear, and they were thinking of it as excitement. Because it's kind of the same feeling. And it's true. It's just like, when I get scared, it's more like, you know what, this is exciting. I'm doing something I never thought I'd be doing. You know, and I'm going to go into it head on. And who knows what's going to happen? I'll survive it. But I faced every fear that comes along. And it's been pretty amazing. My biggest fear growing up was cancer, because there was people in my family who had died of it. And I suddenly realized what, you know what, that's even doable. I was able to fix that. And if it comes back or something else happens, you know what? I'm going to face it head on and deal with it. You just face the fear and see where it takes you. And I'm very happy with the way things are going. Is there something that you have learned about yourself through this process by finally pursuing this dream of starting your own shoe line? I have changed so much. It is unbelievable. 
I used to actually be timid about all this kind of stuff. Again, being authentic is awesome. I mean, you, you, all you can do is be yourself. What you want matters. You can achieve anything as long as you just keep on doing it. Sometimes you have to figure out different ways of doing it. I'm much, tremendously much more resilient than I was. I've become much more brave at all these things. And I've become much more flexible. And I'm seeing things in, in a real different light. So yeah, when someone says no to me, I'll just figure out another way to do it. When you look back on your process of changing careers, given all these ways that you have evolved in terms of resilience and bravery, when you think back to when you were just toying with the idea of starting your own shoe line, what's something that you wished you had known at that time that you now know? I wish I had known that everything is always going to be all right, that you'll get through anything you're smart enough and capable enough to deal with anything that comes along. Nothing is so big that you can't handle it. Back then, I just thought, you know, ah, this is an impossible uh, journey to take on, when in reality, it really wasn't. You know, now that I look back, that would have helped me a lot. Another thing that's really important, surround yourself with supportive people and people who are honest and, and who tell you the truth. You know, you don't want people who are going to just, you know, oh, you're wonderful, blah, blah, blah. No, you need them to tell you the truth and be positive about it. Don't surround yourself with negative people. or That's really important because you don't need to hear that kind of stuff. You need, you need to be around honest, positive people who are going to support you and uh, tell you what you need to hear. Yeah, that's a great tip, Chris. That's something I've actually been thinking a lot about in my own life, maybe just because I'm becoming a little bit busier and my life's a little more full, just making a conscious choice to decide who not deserves to be in my life, but who I want to have in my life and who I think adds something positive to my life instead of draining me all the time. I've been actually thinking a lot about that. You don't need anybody who's going to drain. That's awful. When I first decided that this was kind of a journey I was going to go on, my husband said, you know, we'll sell the house if we have to. It always jokes me out, but it's like, you're totally all in. You know what I mean? You're willing to change your life to let me follow this dream. People like that, those are the kind of people you want. I want to wrap up, Chris, by talking about what you're doing now. So it sounds like you landed your first project. Can you just tell me a little bit more about your first shoe line? You talked a little bit about the style, but can you just describe it in a little bit more detail? To me, the foot doesn't have to still be in the shape of a foot. You can take it and there are no rules. So I want to bring that to my lines. I want it, I want you always to look at my shoe lines and go, oh, oh wow, well, that's really different. Or I also want you to know, oh, that must be a Chris Donovan. I love pushing the limits on what a shoe can be and just do all sorts of crazy things. But I also know that if you want to have a, a, a shoe line, you have to make it so that it will be wearable and there are more people who are going to people are going to see my some of my stuff and go oh we have to go check them out in the store they're not necessarily going to buy my most outrageous designs they're going to want to still share in my designs but they want to wear a flat or you know what i mean or a low heel so i've got to take my ideas and filter them in such a way that they still speak of who i am but also make them practical for work 
or for everyday use. So uh, I've learned a lot. I've, I've changed. Uh, it's interesting. And you also have to know how machines, how do they make these in the machines? There's a lot of rules where seams can go and all sorts of stuff that I, when I'm drawing, I wasn't thinking of, but I'm learning all that now. I have to say, in looking at your shoes, at least the ones that I've seen just online, they are absolutely distinctive and very <laughs> unique. So, Chris, if people want to check out your shoe designs, where can they go to take a peek at them? You can find me on Instagram as Chris Donovan Footwear. I'm on Facebook, Chris Donovan Footwear. And my website's also Chris Donovan Footwear. So you can see some of my stuff in all those uh, different locations. Cool. Well, we'll definitely include all those links in the show notes. And again, I would recommend people check them out. They are very cool and uh, very surprising. So Chris, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to tell us a little bit more about your life as a telephone repair guy formerly, and most recently your journey to become a shoe designer and the lessons you've learned along the way. So congratulations again on landing your first project and best of luck launching your first luxury shoe line. Thank you, Joseph. I'm really excited. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Chris's thoughts on how to deal with being the odd one out, why obstacles are inevitable during any career change journey, and the importance of being authentic to who you are. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to talk about this tricky balancing act of being who you are while still factoring in external norms. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I'd like to thank Grammarly for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. Built by linguists and language lovers, Grammarly's writing app finds and corrects hundreds of complex writing errors so you don't have to. And as a Career Relaunch listener, you can download Grammarly for free by going to getgrammarly.com relaunch. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to pick up on what Chris was saying about the importance of being who you are and doing work that's authentic to you, but I want to focus specifically on the point Chris made there at the end about how he creates his shoe lines. He said that he would love to just design shoes that really represent exactly who he is, but at the same time, he still has to make them practical enough to wear. And I thought that's a great metaphor for how we can all think about our own identities and the personal brands we're trying to develop for ourselves, especially during times of change. And this got me thinking about my own identity and how I choose to represent myself to the world. In this particular case, I'm not really talking about how I am around my friends and family, but more about how I am around clients and audiences, because at least in my case, it is different. And I just want to share how I think about this, because one question I get a lot during my personal branding workshops is about this topic of authenticity and just allowing yourself to be yourself. And I regularly get a question about whether or not this whole idea of thinking carefully or strategically about how you come across is kind of by definition inauthentic, because if you were truly being authentic, wouldn't you just be yourself and never really think about it? This comes up a lot in the context of career change. Sometimes people find they're unhappy because they feel like they just can't be themselves at work and would be happier in an environment where they could just be themselves. So first off, I want to start by saying that I've definitely crossed paths with people out there who say that they are exactly the same person at work with colleagues as they are outside of work with friends and family. And for those of you who fall into this camp, that's great. I think that's a really good place to be because 
It allows you to feel truly authentic all the time, which is what we all want, right? Well, for me, I've never quite operated exactly like that. As far back as I can remember, I feel like there's been the Joseph at work and then there's been the Joseph at home. I wouldn't say there's a huge chasm between the two, and there's definitely less of a difference between the two now because I'm running my own business compared to when I was working as an employee in the corporate world, but there's definitely still a difference. I just feel like work and personal life are really different environments, and that means different parts of my personality come out and different parts of who I am need to come out. Just to give you one example, i Say I'm probably a bit more on the serious measured side in work contexts, and at home I tend to joke around a lot more. And you might be listening to this and thinking, oh, that's a shame, Joseph, that you have to put on this act and that you feel like you can't really be yourself. And I get that. This is just how I've tended to operate for most of my professional life. It's not that I'm not comfortable with who I am necessarily. It's just that I tend to feel like on a purely practical level, certain aspects of my personality feature well in more professional situations, and other parts feature well when I'm in more personal situations. It doesn't mean I'm completely shutting off those parts of myself, but it just means that I'm maybe turning down the volume on certain parts of my personality and turning up the volume on others in ways that help me get my work done in the most effective way possible and seem to land well with the teams and clients I work with. So for me, I take a kind of ruthlessly practical approach to personal branding, both in the workplace and how I now run my own business. What I mean by practical is to think about all the different parts of my personality, similar to what Chris was saying about his shoe designs. He really wants them to represent who he is, but at the same time, people have got to be able to wear them and walk in them. Similarly, I, of course, enjoy being me in all situations, but in work situations, I am selective about what I say. I do try to be consistent in how I come across. I do probably... Think a bit more about how to be in professional settings, probably because I'm someone who coaches other people on personal branding quite often. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that just being who you are definitely has value. I think we actually do our best work and feel most fulfilled when we can just be ourselves. At the same time, I think it's okay to be selective about which parts of your personality you want to amplify and which parts you decide you want to hold back on if it helps you reach your goals. So for me, when I've made career changes, I've tried to think about who I am and who I want to be, but then I've made sure to overlay my desires with the realities of the industry or profession I'm trying to switch into. And I'll admit, trying to match your ideal aspirations against the practical realities of your target job is a tricky balance to get right, and it may feel a bit inauthentic at times because it requires you to temporarily conform more than you might want to to external norms. But it might still help you eventually get where you want to go. Ultimately, you have to figure out what balance between authenticity and conformity works well for your specific circumstances. Everyone has a bit of a different blend. And the good news is that you get to decide what balance works best for you. This takes me to a quote from the social psychologist Amy Cuddy. Authenticity doesn't mean you're not filtering what you're saying. 
It's about being able to know and access the best parts of yourself and bring them forward. So my challenge to you is to think about where you want to take your career from here, then identify one aspect of your personality that could serve you well in getting there. I call this a personality asset. What's one part of who you are that you've maybe been holding back for whatever reason, but could actually benefit from showcasing? I want you to give yourself permission to let it shine. To help you think through the different components of who you are, I've got a simple worksheet you can download for free at careerrelaunch.net slash 46 to help you organize your thoughts. Before we go today, I just wanted to thank Deborah in Chicago for leaving this kind voicemail a couple weeks ago. Hi, Joseph. This is Deborah from Chicago. I really love your podcast. I think that you do a really good job getting people to speak very honestly about their careers and their career changes. And also, uh, I just think the stories are very interesting. What I would be interested in hearing, if you can find any, are stories of lawyers that have transitioned to other careers. I've been an attorney for 20 years, and I'm looking to get out, but it's very, very difficult. So if you know of any lawyers who have been successful, I'd be interested in hearing about them. But thank you for all your good work. I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Thank you. Well, Deborah, thanks so much for sharing your feedback on the show. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. And in terms of attorneys and lawyers who have changed careers, I've got a couple suggestions for you. First off, I'd recommend you check out episode 12 from January 2017 when we featured Vicki Dane, who's a former corporate lawyer turned clinical psychologist based in London. And you can find her episode at careerrelaunch.net slash episode 12. Also, as luck would have it, and this is a pure coincidence, in the next episode of Career Relaunch airing in September, I'm going to be featuring a former criminal defense attorney turned founder of a chocolate company. So be sure to stay tuned for that. If you have a certain type of guest you would like me to feature on this show or just want to share your own career change story with others, you can leave me a voicemail at careerrelaunch.net slash voicemail. You can also just email me a voice memo from your phone to joseph at careerrelaunch.net. And if you want to check out some of Chris's shoe designs, watch a video about his story, or get a summary of all the key points from today's conversation, just go to careerrelaunch.net slash 46. As I just mentioned in our next episode, I'll be featuring someone who spent 20 years as a criminal defense lawyer, but went on to eventually start his own chocolate company. And he's going to describe how the skills he developed as a lawyer helped him create a unique business model for sourcing his chocolate. Thanks so much for being part of the Career Relaunch community, and a special thanks again to Chris Donovan for sharing his story with us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington. Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time. 